Thank you. <laughs> well, they do all sorts of things for you. Basically, the, the question that you go to a brand manager with is, all right, I want to become, you know, I want to be known in the world. Right. So what do I do? I was like, well, okay, what's your story? Who cares about you? Who's your audience? What kind of clothing do you wear? What are you saying? What's your message? You know, and they help you parcel all that out and get, okay, now, uh, this is who you are. This is what you should speak. This is who you should talk to. And, you know, they just help right. you kind of get out into the world. Right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what the code keepers, uh, they, they care about who you are. They don't care about what you wear. Well, some, <laughs> some maybe some of the women do. I don't know. <laughs> People always oh. care about what you wear, even if they don't tell you so. They notice what you wear. Ooh, that's Joe. what my brother told me. It's like, hey, you gotta, you okay. gotta at least comb your hair, brother. <laughs> that's what he'll tell me. It's like, good. I don't have any left, so I don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> mm, right. All right, code keepers. Well, as you can see, we have the good brother William A. Adams with us today, and I tell you, this is going to be an intriguing conversation about tech and tech and tech and you're saying what does tech have to do with empowerment what does tech Everything. have to do with black empowerment Everything. all right welcome to get on code the fly guy show which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment health wealth and knowledge itself people think in binary choices because they are conditioned to and on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. All right, Code Keepers, William Adams, William A. Adams, who has ideas on leveraging tech to build wealth. So let's start with that, man. How do we leverage technology or tech to build wealth? Yeah, so let me give you a, a brief on my background. Just, you know, it's like, who's this? Just might be some broke brother talking about tech. So I've been in uh, I've been a programmer uh, since I was 12 years old. I'm 56, so I've been in it for a long time. And um, I had my own tech company, software um, back in the day, literally back in the day. It it was so back in the day that the Computer History Museum in Silicon Valley did a piece on my brother and I recently. So we're actually in a museum. That's how old I am. And I've been at Microsoft for 24 years. And uh, it's it's not that I'm one of those multi-billionaires, you know, I'm not um, Bill Gates, um, but tech has been good. I have a salary, I have a house, I have a family and I have a pretty decent life. Uh, and it's because I have an equity uh, share of technology. And this is what the word tech becomes from. Um, so yeah, tech and, and uh, wealth, Today, go together. If you look at the top 100 billionaires in the world, top 10 billionaires in the world, um, most of them are, are sitting on tech, you know, from Bezos to Bill Gates to Elon Musk and uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, tech is where the money's at right now, right? Wow, that's, that's, okay, so you're doing well. 
and we can do well if we have yes. equity shares yes. in tech. Yes. Yeah. Ah. And that's very important because, you know, it's like everybody has one of these. Everybody has one of these. But all that does is make you a consumer. In order to really get the money out of uh, the fact that everyone has one of these is you got to be the person who's creating these. And I don't mean work in the factory. I mean the person who's writing the software, coming up with the designs, uh, doing that. That's the equity share in technology. Uh, so the consumers go out and buy all this stuff and you get the rewards, right? That's the position you want to be in. Not just work in the factory job for technology. You want to be the owner of the technology. Ashe, Ashe that. So you mentioned this. You actually kind of alluded to this in your conversation a few moments ago. Tell us about this picture. <laughs> this picture. Okay. So this picture goes back, actually. This was me and my brother. Uh, Stephen Adams, and we're standing in the courtyard um, of the government offices in St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, and this is back in June of 2021, so this year. This was just six months ago, and uh, we took this particular picture. I, I was at the, I was there with the government doing this thing called a technical, um, technical fest, okay. where we were talking about the government and all the problems that we could solve using technology, blah, blah, blah. And then we, were, we took this photo op uh, because earlier I mentioned that he and I had this company a long time back. We started in 1984. And in that company, we actually took a, we did a photo shoot for this magazine called Next World Magazine. And we took a pose and it pretty much looked like that pose, but we were inside our, our offices, you know, uh, in Oakland, California. So uh, we just recreated that pose. You know, here we are, what? I don't know, 30, 40 years later, <laughs> striking the same pose because my brother and I still work together. I mean, he's not working for Microsoft, but we still scheme with each other. So that's what that picture is. So you and your brother were both involved in tech. So am I assuming that you and your brother both have equity in tech as well? Um, if, if you had him here next to me, He'll tell you a different story. I have more equity in tech than he does uh, because I did go off to Microsoft. He went a different path. So he's uh, he's got a different equity footing than I do, but he's still driving hard in being a, a creator of technologies and driving technologies and enabling people uh, through technologies. So yeah, he's still in it. Uh, we're both still in it. Neither one of us has sat back and sitting on the beach, sipping Mai Tais going, well, I got mine. <laughs> You know. Okay. Okay. Well, you also mentioned a few moments ago that you were in the Virgin Islands when you took that picture. Yeah. But am I to understand that you personally yeah. donated 200,000 or more to the U.S. Virgin Islands? Oh, you did your research. All right. So this is actually on film even, I think. So yeah, we went down there um, as Microsoft um, because, well, let me, let me roll back just a second uh, because this, uh, this makes for a bigger story. Um, earlier in my career, I've spent, I've spent most of my career at Microsoft just delivering technology, writing code, running engineering teams, you know, some of the stuff people may have heard of, some of the, it's just obscure. But one of the things I've done along the way is I've always been focused on uh, getting certain populations into technology. In my earliest days, it was, hey, we got, we need more women here, period. 
I don't care what color they are. We just need more women in tech. So I was focused on getting women into Microsoft. Uh, during part of my career, I, I moved to India for three years to help um, all the college hires that were coming into India. So I trained them for five weeks as they came in the door before they went to their engineering teams. Uh, for three years, I did that. And then um, in recent years, I did this thing called LEAP, uh, which was about hiring women and minorities. And this is something you, you mentioned your son earlier. We can talk about this because this is the path that he would go in. And it basically says, you know, whatever degree you had, if you've got a passion for tech, this is your path. You go through this LEAP program. Um, so I'm just, I'm just rolling up here. And while I was doing that program, um, I helped us get into uh, Kenya and Nigeria with engineering teams. Uh, because if you can believe it, you know, it was a big old continent, 1.2 billion people. Microsoft didn't have any engineering there. And this is around, what, 2017, 18. Uh, so I said, okay, let's, let's go. Let's start. <laughs> right? We need engineering here. Rolled forward a couple more years to this past year. And I just kind of cast my eye on, on the Caribbean and thought, if you depend on how you count the Caribbean, there's 40 million people here. A lot of them are pretty brown. So why not these people? And again, there's not a lot of engineering going on in the Caribbean. Why not? Because, because it's not, right? No one pays attention there. The first thing you think when you think Caribbean is either cruise ships or hurricanes. And after that, poor people. That's about the, the full extent of people's thoughts of the Caribbean. And Africa, given the past president that we used to have, their thoughts weren't even that favorable, right? It was much more like, oh, that's, those are those poor, I won't repeat what he said about them, but th it was not flattering. Um, so I look at potential of people and I looked at the Caribbean. I thought there's a lot of people out here. Uh, we should have some tech out here um, because why not? Intelligence is everywhere. We harvest a lot of people from the Caribbean and they go on to have super productive, valuable lives outside the Caribbean, which leaves the Caribbean kind of poor. So why don't we bring the jobs and land them there rather than brain draining people out so that they can enjoy the fruits of their intelligence in the local economy? Uh, so this is what we set into motion. And sitting at Microsoft uh, helps because we're, at, well, depending on the day, we're the world's most valuable company. It's like, come on now. <laughs> we got to be able to use that strength and the power of, of our company's mission, which is to empower everyone on the planet to achieve more. If that means anything, it means these people right here because they're part of everyone on the planet. So how can you exclude them? So my job is, is loosely to tackle things like that and just shine the light on challenges in the world and say, we can do this, we, we can do this. So this is why I was in the Caribbean. It's like, we are going to have engineering in the Caribbean come hell or high water, right? And that's gonna be a great story because like I said, it's a bunch of brown people out there. <laughs> so that's a lot of wealth creation if you can land several hundred jobs across the region over you know 10 years or whatever. Um, that's why I was there. We had this tech summit, so getting to the money. Uh, so I stood up and we had this week long thing where we're like, okay, let's talk about every department, what your challenges are with this technical solutions, all that sort of stuff. And we get to the end and we're saying, yeah, this was 
booyah, we're having this, you know, we're going to have this nice dinner and all this. And I said, look, um, we are not colonialists. I come in humbly. Um, with all humility, I want to become a community member. And I'm speaking as, you know, Microsoft. Um, please don't ask me for money. That's not why I'm here. This is not a philanthropic venture for us. You're going to make money. We're Everyone's going to make money. I pulled an Oprah on it. You all get money. But what we have to agree on is that who's accountable, right? And I said to them, this can all happen. All the stuff we talked about can happen. But you have to be accountable to yourselves. You have to demand of yourselves that you're going to follow through, right? I can't make this happen. I'm Microsoft. I'm outside. I don't even live here. So you have to be accountable. Now, I am going to show how accountable I am, how committed I am, right? So then I said, to show my accountability, I am going to spend $200,000 here over the next two years to advance what we're collectively talking about. And this is me spending my personal money, not Microsoft money. <laughs> bow down, bow down. Microsoft will spend whatever it's going to spend. But as me personally, I am vested enough that I'm going to spend my own treasure to back up what I said I was going to do here, right? So I opened an office. I actually have an office in Christiansted, downtown, you know, St. Croix. Uh, it's being decked out and it's going to be the place where I drive my personal uh, thing from because that's how committed I am. It's like, yeah, look, put your money where your mouth is, brother. Right. So that's what I did. Long story to get to why did you spend $200,000 in the Caribbean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen people spend a lot of money in DR for things that are, uh, uh, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's you really did put your money, your resources where your mouth is. And yeah, yeah. No, I can't do that every place I go, but here's like, come on now, why did you make all this money? Not to hoard it. You made it to help other people. That's my this is my wife's attitude. You made it to help other people. You're not here to you can't take it with you, so you might as well get to spending it, right? Ashe. Ashe. So your work and your personal work really is helping blacks and uh, black indigenous people of color towards ownership in tech firms. Yeah. So how do you do that? How, how does that happen? You want, okay. So a couple of examples. First of all, I mentioned this leap program, which was about just hiring women and minorities into Microsoft. Right. Uh, that's the, that's the easiest example because it starts with just get people some jobs. Right. I mean, they need jobs. And once they, it's just part of the package that once you get the job, you get a salary, you get some stock, you know, and assuming you do well, you get bonuses and, you know, you get the snowball rolling. So I had to first just get them in the door. So the LEAP program was all about that. It's essentially a 16-week apprenticeship program. And now it's federally accredited and the talk of the town, all that sort of stuff. Great. Uh, we've increased the size of the pie and we have a model that we can easily replicate to get more people uh, in the door. Uh, so that's that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is to say, well, uh, not everyone's suited for a job at Microsoft, Amazon, Google, whatever. Uh, but what else can they do? So in the Caribbean, for example, there's some uh, brothers and sisters down there that like flying drones, right? You know, the uh, helicopters. 
and or quadcopters. You say, okay, well, that's not directly a moneymaker, but wait a minute. Let's think here. Uh, tourism is a very popular thing here in the Caribbean. Uh, what if we set you up to fly your drones, take footage of the islands, then we'll create some 3D models, and then we can create a virtual island uh, experience for tourism, right? So you could be anywhere in the world. And then, you, of course, you sell that data set and uh, you sell it to the tourism board and you create uh, games based on it and stuff like that. So by me sitting there and saying, I have experience and I have connections, you like flying drones. First of all, let me train you on what it means to have a business, um, who you sell the data to, here's some connections, how you sell to the tourism board, how you run a business so that you don't lose all your money after you got your first payment and you bought a portion and that was that, <laughs> right? How do you do longevity? Um, let me show you all these, these steps and let me give you your initial funding so that you can get it off the ground because you got to buy five drones because you just lost one in the ocean, right? Uh, that's how you do it. You basically leverage your expertise, not just me, but people I know. You leverage that expertise and bring a brother along, right? It's like, let me show you how. It's mentoring, right? Uh, that's how you do it. And then there's other things you had to do because a lot of people, their concerns... Uh, forget about drones. It's like, I need to eat. Right. Right, <laughs> right? right, right. And you, it's also helping people by saying, do not go out and get $60,000, $100,000, $120,000 of student loans. That's not going to help you. And you're just going to be in debt forever. So let me show you a different way. <laughs> right. Mm. There's different paths. Uh, I'm not trying to discourage college. I'm just saying that uh, you have to you have to go into these things eyes wide open. So it's helpful to have experienced um, mentors and coaches and uh, sponsors who are telling you this way lies peril. This is probably a better path for us right. today, right? Right, right. So and and I can see that you're really big on doing this. Oh you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen this picture. And this is one of your cohorts, right? Yeah, that's probably a leap cohort. That's a leap cohort. This is a leap cohort in Africa. That's probably in Nigeria, I, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you really did your research. So yeah, oh, these man, are I... all. Look at all those brown people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I look at these pictures, man, it really kind of. You've definitely taken diversity and inclusion, and you really put some gasoline on that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the key is for me at, at my company, I did it at a time where I already had some street cred within the company, so I can be bold, Ooh, right? Pop that collar, pop that collar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like, look, you're not gonna fire me. I know I've delivered, you know, I know who I am. I'm not intimidated. I'm not afraid to lose my job, you know? Now, let me tell you what you're gonna do, <laughs> right? Because I have a voice. And I'm not the guy on the street who's, uh, you know, when the, well, I'll tell you a couple, can I tell you a couple of stories related to the whole black thing? Please do. Being Please in corporate do. America. So because we're, we're B1 here, man. We're black first, so. Great. So, yes. so <laughs> let, me, let me be black. So when I was, um, when I first joined the company a long time ago, there was a, a brother who was leaving the company. He was in sales and he's like, ah, I'm suing the company, racial discrimination, blah, blah, blah. 
And I was like, ah, I was just new to the company. So I was like, I'm not going to join in your lawsuit. I'm just here. Who knows what your story is? Uh, he settled out of court, you know, and the company says, we're going to spend $100 million on improving things. Um, so that happened. Oh, my phone is ringing. Um, and then, you know, roll forward, you know, to last couple of years and George Floyd happens, right? And, and uh same same thing, but inflation adjusted, you know, it's 175 million instead of 100 million that we're going to spend, right? And it's like, okay, okay, I, I get the game. And I had this, uh, a few VPs talk to me and various, first of all, all the white friends are, oh, how must you, you must feel bad. And I would just tell people and, oh, I want to, I want to hear the story of your pain. And I would tell people, I'm not going to have this conversation with you because I'm not a monkey in a zoo. You don't get to observe me in my pain without sharing your own pain and your own guilt, right? And I had one VP who was, you know, they're trying to be expressive and supportive of the Black community within Microsoft. And, and he said, you know, I've, I, it, was, it was painful for him to explain to his child the, plain, the pain that the Black people were going through. And he's white. And I just said, you know what, I think the harder thing for you to explain is to your son is why you people are so violent. It's your problem. We don't have the problem. You guys are violent and you need Preach. to deal with that. <laughs> right? Preach. I mean, because when we look at things like this, yeah, you know, these massacres that happen, you know, yeah. when we look at things like that. It, it, we weren't killing it, ourselves. <laughs> no, we look at these situations like this. And I have pictures of people who've been killed in, um, you know, police violence when they were unarmed. Yeah. Yeah. So the George Floyd thing happened and I was like, I, I couldn't I I I could not watch the video. I just couldn't. You know, it was just like, I'm sorry, that's a bridge too far. I, I know what happened. But if I watch that, I'm going to go out and murder something. <laughs> so, so I didn't watch the video. And I am not the guy who's going to go out on the Black Lives Matter marches and uh, torching in the street and all that. That's not me. So what happened to me is I said, all right, it's wake up time, William. Yeah, you did the leap thing. That was great. That's awesome. That was the first step. What's your next step? How are you going to start spending your money? How are you going to start activating people for real, right? Uh, what's the next step? And part of it is I'm not going to educate all white people. That's not my job, right? Uh, I'm willing to have, and I have had very serious conversations with people, and it always starts with, I say, look, I'm willing to get naked with you. I'm willing to share raw emotions with you. But it's a two-way street, right? I'm not the monkey in the zoo. You can't observe me and then walk away without sharing something of yourself. So I've had very deep conversations about race and perspective and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's very uh, useful. But that's only that's a sideshow. The real action is when you look at a place like the Caribbean, 30 percent poverty rate. You look at a place like Detroit, you know, it's had better days. You look at a place like uh, some school districts in Atlanta where they have 70 percent failure rate of African-American males. And you had to say, what am I going to do to help that situation, right? 
And that's where I am today. It's like, and it's not about charity again. I'm not going to show up and say, hey, you get $100. You get $100. That doesn't do anything. <laughs> right, right. Right? You have to think deeply about how can I take what I've learned in my 40 years in tech and apply it to this situation such that I help them get a leg up if I can, right? Not everyone's going to appeal to the tech thing, but some of them will. So let me try to bring what I can bring and help people. I got to I gotta get in there. I got to get muddy. I got to spend my treasure and I got to spend my time and I have to give my um, emotion and I have to be empathetic or else none of it works, right? So there, there you go. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're 56. Yeah. Now the George. Oh, I'm 57. I just had a birthday. Hey, See, that's what happens with age. Me. You forget. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the George Floyd, the Tamir Rice, yeah, um, those types of events, the uh, Breonna Taylor events, and that did cause a, uh, I guess, an awakening. Yeah, in American consciousness, possibly world consciousness, because I saw pictures in India, in Africa, and yeah. in, in uh, Malaysia where they were marching for George Floyd. Uh, yeah. Were there any things pre-pandemic that really started that passion? Because you I mean you really just talked about how that George Floyd time period really ignited it, but there had yeah. to be someone to set some embers there beforehand. Um, for me personally, there's always been. You know, I grew up in the '60s, so there's always been in my life um, stuff going on with civil rights and. Um, you know, there's always been stuff. So seeing someone shot, killed, lynched by the police or anyone else, none of it's new, right? None of this is new. So what was different? Um, and the difference, I think there's two things. One is my age. You know, I'm old enough that I'm evolved. In my earlier days, I was very focused on getting the dollar, raising the family, getting the house, paying the car, you know. You're occupied, you're distracted, right? Uh, George Floyd comes in. Now I was, I was a little bit awake. You know, I did have enough awakeness to say, hey, we're gonna do this LEAP program. You know, I care about other people. Let's get some women and minorities in here. Um, but that was half awake. Uh, George Floyd came at a time when we're home for COVID. Everybody has high def video cameras and you could not walk away from it. You could not distract yourself enough to get away from it, right? If, it, if we didn't have COVID, it would be like, you know, police kill black man. Now in other news, you know, back to the football game, back to baseball, back to, you know, we have so many distractions. This time around, I was like, damn, there's nothing else on TV. I guess I got to watch this 15 times <laughs> in high def, <laughs> right? And then people just flipped. And they're just like, damn it, I, I'm, I'm sick of this shit. I'm, enough, right? Enough is enough. And we oh, erupted, right? And you're right in that it wasn't, um, George Floyd was not violent. I mean, it's like, you just choked a brother out on the street in front of the world. We're, we're not going to stand for that. Sorry. You know, time for change. And yes. It's it's just like when uh, in India there were with Gandhi, uh, nonviolent uh, passive you know resistance, 
eventually, after enough slaughters, the world went, damn, this ain't right. <laughs> right. 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 You know, it takes a lot, but eventually people go, damn, are we human or, or not? Are we just animals? You know, and I think the George Floyd thing just makes go, at least certain people go, I think y'all are just animals. <laughs> you know, uh, something needs to change and it's with you more than it is with us. Um, and that's what I think caused a change for me as well. It's just a, another shock mm -hmm. that says Leap was great. What's next? Because you know this is still going to keep happening. Right. So let's get up on it and, instead right. of being buried by it. Well, with your entree into making sure that more of us have opportunities to gain yeah. wealth through tech, is the old adage that we have to work twice as hard to get half as much still alive. I've had debates about this, and I just wanted to see in, in your realm. Yeah, I'll give you my perspective on it. So it's, it's I heard that when I was a child, you know, like every black child in America. And I would say up until I was 40, it would it just rang in my head. So all the way up until I was around 40. And 40 is when I, I went to a beach in Hawaii. I sat down with waves and I wrote my, my like, well, what is my life about? You know, I just really introspection. I, I had just gone through a divorce and, you know, I was about to go to India, you know. And at that time, I finally said to myself, I'm good enough. Uh, I've come far enough. I'm good enough. I'm as good as everybody else. I do not need to work twice as hard. I deserve more, right? Now, that was my attitude. That was, what, 17 years ago. Uh, it is true. And you, you see this if you, if you find my uh, computer history museum thing. We do a whole section on this. It is true that you have to often work differently than your peers to hmm. get the same rewards, right? Differently, differently. Differently. And I don't want to say twice as much to get half as much. You need to work differently. Your challenges will be different. Like, for example, um, I might have a situation where the measure of success is for me to complete something that's just kind of really impossible, <laughs> you know, extraordinary. And, uh, a peer of mine might just kind of stay in place, you know, and do a, a regular workaday sort of thing. And they'll get the same reward that I will have gotten for working, you know, um, the impossible job. It's not that it was hard. It was impossible. <laughs> you know? It was it, so it's like, why did I have to go that path to come back to this thing? Whereas all you had to do is kind of stay in place. Um, now, I'm not I'm not one to kind of play the race card, as it were, and say, well, it's because I was Black. But what I do point out is, and it's true for anyone who's not in a majority culture in anything, it's not about Black, it's about minority versus majority culture, right? Okay, okay. When you're in the U.S., that so happens to mean white versus everybody else, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> When you're in Nigeria, it's Black men versus Black women, Ooh. right? Black women, because everyone's Black. So you, it's not a race thing. Okay. Males are the dominant culture. Women are the ones that they're trying to keep out. So that's why you notice in those pictures that you had there, there were cohorts of women in Africa. Mm. 
We hyper-index on women in Africa. If you go to India, it's tribals. You're discriminated against because of the tribe you're from, the caste you're from, the region you're from. So it's dominant culture versus less dominant culture, subculture, right? Right, right. In tech, it's easy to point out Hispanic Black women. Those are the, the subcultures. White male or even white Asian uh, is more dominant, right? So that's why it oftentimes looks like it's a Black thing. It's, it's not a Black thing. It's dominant cultures versus non-dominant cultures. Uh, and there's various reasons for that. Um, I'm in the non-dominant culture, so I've struggled but I've lasted 24 years, which is quite an accomplishment considering how many persons we've had. Um, so there's something I'm doing right. <laughs> and if I, you know, I would say I'm pretty good. It's not just about, I got a handout. I'm actually pretty good at what I do. And that's why I've been able to be of value to the company for so many years. Um, that's, that's the way I, I choose to frame it for myself. Well, your phone does not stop, man. You are definitely uh, <laughs> in demand. Uh, you mentioned you, that man. you had I'm a chance to. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say, Asante Sana, we thank you for that. Um, you've traveled a lot. You know, you, you, you know, you, you're in, you've been in India. You know, Nigeria, Kenya. Kenya I think China. you said China. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what things did you learn in your travels? other than what you just talked about, that can help our experience here in, you know, the good old U.S.? Um, I would say probably the best experience, well, two good, great experiences I've had come from India. Um, the, the first experience was how I went to India. Um, I, I, before I went to India, I was here in the Pacific Northwest. I had a house, I had a car, I had a, you know, a, a library full of tech books. I had a garage full of woodworking tools. You know, I was living the life. And um, I got rid of all of it. I I sold my house to my (laughs) ex-wife. I gave away all my books. I I gave away all my woodworking tools. You know, I literally went to India with nothing more than a backpack, uh, which I still have, and, um, and my computer. Right. I literally, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I literally got on a plane with a backpack full of one week's worth of clothing and I just went. Right. And I, I went naked, if you will, because what I was, you know, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm in a transition phase of my life. You know, it's, it's like I'm going to own my midlife crisis. So I went naked because I wanted to see who I was. I wanted to define who I was. It's like, well, um, I've grown up. American Christian. I'm a tech guy. I have this kind of car. I have all these trappings of who I am. But who am I? So by going naked, you have to redefine yourself or reassert yourself um, and really think about, well, who are you? Because here I am in this other culture. It's not my culture. You know, I didn't grow up in India. I grew up in the U.S. Different food, different housing, different expectations, different traffic lights, different ways of driving, you know, and I had to reestablish who I was. Uh, so this is one of the best lessons I got from travel is that um, you need to know who you are and this helps you with anything that you're going to do. You need to have a clear mission of what your life is about, right? Uh, when you show up to whatever it is, 
and you just start running. It's like, hey, everyone else is running. I'm running too. You know, it's like, right, 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 right. Why are you running? Where are you running? <laughs> is that okay. even the place you want to go? So I think the experience of being out there in the world made me settle who I was and what I was about and reseat firmly what I believe in and what drives me forward. Because you go through some tough times when you travel and you're outside of your normal element and you can't even eat the food that you normally want to eat, right? It's like, well, does that church's fried chicken really define you or is that just something you grew up with and you're willing to try something else? right? You have to be flexible. Um, the other part of it was empathy. I mean, and I, I always attribute this greatly to my, my wife, who I actually met in India while I was there, my current wife. Um, and just the, the love that she has for people, whether it's inside her family or people around, and how you relate to people and why you care and how you care and how you actually show up. Uh, this is something I learned. Because when you travel, you see that People are human. People are just people. You know, it's not like, oh, those people over there, those ones are evil. These ones are good. You know, it's like people are people. We're all just trying to get along. We don't know why we're on the planet and, and we all die in the end. So it's like we're all just trying to get along. So if you can have empathy for the human experience, no matter where it is, um, I think that makes you a better human. It makes for better outcomes for what you choose to pursue in life. Right. So that's what I learned from all that travel is just you have to be flexible and you have to be well grounded in who and what you believe in um, and, and not not so hard headed that you're not willing to see a different perspective because you're in a different experience. Right. You don't just show up and say, I'm an American and let's make everything work the way I expect it to work. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you are going to have a bad time. <laughs> right. So there you go. That's why okay. I travel. So you have a what blog? Is <laughs> what is that? You have a blog? <laughs> yeah, I haven't been active on that blog for a while, though. Uh, but it's, I, had to uh, actually, I actually curtailed that when I joined the office of the CTO. Okay. Musings of a creator. Yeah. So that's an interesting way of defining yourself as a creator. Yeah. Yeah, I spent quite a lot of time. If you if you so happen to go through my blog, you'll see a lot of stuff about um, software development and um, 3D printing and home automation. And uh, there's a couple of little mini essays in there. Like I, I think I wrote something when um, Donald Trump was elected and how people were responding to him and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that MLK passing thing. I, I thought that was killer. Uh, this is something that I actually sent to uh, a lot of people inside the company, you know. Um, this is nice. I, yeah, like I like that. I read it. See, now my blog is interesting. I write my blog because I want to read it later. You know, I'm, I'm just reminding <laughs> myself of stuff. So I write things down and I put it on the blog and it's like, wow, this is, this is, you know, that brother was intelligent, <laughs> you know. So I'm looking back on myself and going, yeah, I really like this. Yeah, I was only four years old on that fateful day when they killed Martin. So I don't yeah. remember much other than adults crying, smoking, drinking, talking adult stuff, nervous wringing of hands, and us kids playing outside. Yep. In my tech career of roughly 35 years, I've often been the only. Yep. And yeah. you, you become more of Yoda and less Samuel Jackson. Yeah. So, 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 so <laughs> 
Okay. Yoda, Samuel Jackson. Uh, okay. Both of them have weapons. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying you went more to a blade than a big gun? Is that what I mean? What, what are you saying there? <laughs> no, I mean, Yoda's, Yoda's, you know, he's, he's, uh, when he's with Luke Skywalker, he's doing a lot of the, well, you only find in there what you bring in there. You know, he's more <laughs> philosophical. He's, right. he's, he's trying to bring out the, the power in Luke. But he's very philosophical about it. And yeah, he uses his powers, but sparingly, right? Samuel L. Jackson will just be all up on your ass with it, you know? <laughs> and that's that's how I was perhaps when I was younger. I was very arrogant as a programmer. And um, I wouldn't say I was militant, you know, um, but I was certainly much more like, yeah, you know, everything's like, ah. right. Right. Okay. <laughs> you're going to go chew on everything. And then, you know, Yoda's like, no, hold on. Don't chew on everything. Just find the biggest cow and kill that one. <laughs> you know. All right. Well, why don't we answer two of the questions you posed yourself? All right. Your question is, would I have died fighting rather than be put on the ship? And I'm assuming that's dealing with the enslavement of people of African descent when they were yeah. placed on the enslavement ships. Yeah. So would you have fought? died fighting rather than giving up this is it's a really interesting question right because you have to realize that when um slavery didn't happen just because the europeans showed up and just enslaved everybody it was aided and abetted by africans in africa right because they would go to war with each other and the spoils of their wars was capturing people and selling them off to the Europeans. So we were we were part and parcel of that process. And I I would like to think now this is hard for me to say because I'm kind of a pacifist. I don't I don't like going to war uh, for no reason. I would like to think that if someone was trying to you know uh, capture my village, rape my family and all the rest, I would have fought till I died. Right. 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 If that didn't work and I was captured, now it depends on which culture you come from. Some people find it the ultimate humiliation is to be captured by your enemy and they would just kill themselves. Um, so it depends on what culture I would have been coming from. But I would have liked to think that I would, knowing what's going to happen, that I'm going to be a slave, I think I'd rather fight to not have that outcome and I'd be okay to be killed rather than have that outcome. Come back as something else and try again. Um, okay. That's okay. what I'm thinking intellectually. Right. Now, right. the reality right. is when your wife is next to you and your two kids, you're going to think, man, I got to live another day for their safety if I can. Yeah, so I got to protect them. I got to protect them. So I don't know if getting killed right now is the right thing for me to do. Right. Um, and when I've jumped into the ocean, is the same thing. It's like, mm, it depends. If I was single, eh, it's easier. Yeah, of course. I just I'd fight till I died. You know, I'd rather jump in the ocean. But if you got any sort of family around you, ooh, it's a lot harder, right? So right. no easy answer. No easy answer. Yeah. Okay. I I see the the need for some more context with those types of questions. Um, yeah, yeah. And it and you don't, you don't even have to think back to the slave days. You can think of you can put these questions in the context of today. And there's this uh, I'll give you some reference. When I was uh, in St. Croix, I was turned on to this thing called the Willie Lynch 
lecture. And it was basically this lecture by a, uh, a Caribbean slave owner. He gave a lecture to the slave uh, owners in Virginia on the mainland. And he essentially told them how to make a slave, you know, and he broke it down. He said, look, you got to pit people against each other. You got to emasculate the men in front of their women and their children. You got to uh, rape the women and um, pit white, light skin against dark skin, intelligent, non-intelligent woman against man. And by doing this, you will enslave them for hundreds of years to come, right? It's like, huh. And this is the same Willie Lynch that the word lynching comes from. He told them how to hang people in the in the most gruesome way to scare the rest of them. You know, the, the original terrorism, right? Uh, Slavery is not new. I mean, it's around for thousands of years. So, but okay. Willie Lynch laid out the programming for slavery in the Americas. And I look at that and I think today it's like, okay, how much of this how is this being executed today? What does slavery look like? What does the pitting each other, uh, each against the other look like today? And how can I counter that programming, right? Um, so I, I don't have to think about, uh, I am, we are all slaves in one way or another. So you have to think about how are you going to, yes, exactly, making them a slave. How are you going to counter this insidious programming that we don't even, you know, most of us have never heard of Willie Lynch and his letter and how to make a slave. No one's heard of this. I'm an educated man, 57 years old. And I never heard of this until I talked to someone in St. Croix six months ago, right? I didn't mm. know the programming that existed to make us the way we are, right? Now that I know, and I'm a programmer, I know how to counter the programming, right? So the question is, um, okay, you, you know what's been used to put you in the situation you're in, do you have the skills, courage, time, energy, willpower to undo that programming, right? That's the real question for me. And that's the battle that I see with Tequity is like, I'm trying to undo the programming that has been done a couple hundred years ago, right? I'm trying to undo mm. the programming. So the, that's the real question is, do you have the courage? Do I even have the courage to say this? Right, right, right. right. And the answer to well, that is yes, because I know it's just you. You and just me, said it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Um, you know, I, I I think it's interesting that in your later years that you found the Willie Lynch book. Um, yeah, I grew up with that when I was in middle school. There so, you go. Yeah, and, and, I, and I you think must have been parents, on the East Coast because it's not a West Coast thing. What well, you're right, you're right, and we've actually gone as far as to study the speech. You know, that was supposedly done in 1712, yeah, uh, or around that time period. Um, and I don't want to call it mythology, but the story that goes along with it is that's where Lynchburg came from, and that's where lynching came from. And we don't necessarily have the documents to, to prove confirm that. that's true. Yeah. But the interesting thing about that Willie Lynch story or that narrative or the book, or even if it was a real speech, is it does a great job of describing phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. It does a great job of describing phenomenon and programming, which kind of goes into tech, which is, yep. it, this is really kind of intriguing. Human I, tech, I, human programming. Ashe, um, what's the thing that's kind of interesting when we talk about the um, the enslavement process and the 
participation by some of those African nations, uh, it's intriguing because a lot of times when we say, hey, they participated, so we're equally as culpable, the numbers show that there were 10, 7 to 10% of the enslaved Africans who were stolen from the continent came as a result of wars, were prisoners of wars who were sold off to the Europeans. Hmm. So, and the rest were stolen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But then it, you start looking at that 10%, and that number 10% is so pervasive. <laughs> it's like, 10% of the problems, I mean, uh, you know what? I, I don't want to go into the 10% thing. I, I, I don't want to go into the 10% thing. I just find that number is always pops up. 10% always. Now, now, you deal with tech and you deal with numbers, you deal with coding. Are there numbers that always seem to populate? Uh, you mean with respect to, uh, I don't know, race stuff or just in general? I want to say just in general. You know, we talk about the 80-20 rule. Uh, yeah. I, I see 10% popping up a lot. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't really um, I haven't really thought about numbers that are prevailing. I mean, there's per certain themes. 80-20, yeah. 70-20-10. Uh, I used to be an instructor. So, well, I'm always an instructor. Uh, so there's certain things like that. I mean, as a programmer, as a geek, there's the golden ratio, you know, 1.618. Um, numbers like pi, stuff like that, you know, your typical math sort of things. Um, but no, I haven't really observed um, other things other than the numbers that are hard burned into my my brain right now are things like 3.6%, mm, okay. <laughs> which is the percentage of African-Americans in uh, core tech roles, you know, in our company or 6% or, you know, those kind of percentages are burned in my brain, um, not other things. Uh, okay. There's other there's other bigger numbers, like 70%, uh, the rate of African-American males who drop out of high school, you know, before graduating. Um, those kinds of things seem to be universal that I've seen in lots of different places. Um, so, yeah. But it, okay. it's, interest, it's interesting. Sorry, I just want to go back to the slave thing in Africa. Um, I don't, um, I don't excuse the Europeans at all. Um, I think that no matter how we got on the ships, um, there was a buyer <laughs> and it was them. <laughs> right? We're not laughing at the tragedy or the pain or the suffering, but yeah, there was a buyer. There was a buyer. You know, it's like you can, you can blame that Afghani, you know, Coke, coca plant grower all you want. But there was a buyer, <laughs> you know. Well, let's get technical again. So, your, your your technical term, or I guess the number on the the phrasing on your business card is technical advisor to the CTO at Microsoft. Yeah. All right. So for the uninitiated, what is the CTO? Right. And for the totally uninitiated, what does <laughs> the technical, technical advisor, advisor do? <laughs> yeah. So first of all, a CTO, chief technology officer um, at the company right now, this person is named Kevin Scott. Um, Microsoft purchased the uh, LinkedIn company a few years back and Kevin came with that acquisition and uh, Satya Nadella, our CEO said, Kevin, we'd like you to be our CTO. Uh, the, the role is isn't super duper well defined because we don't always have a CTO. 
Um, we do now. And roughly speaking, his, his job is to help guide the company technologically, you know, meaning he has to look ahead. He has to say, well, what's coming 20 years from now, 10 years from now? Um, can we corral our and focus our attentions towards these particular technologies? Right now it's about AI and machine learning and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so his, his job is roughly that, to help synthesize what's going on in the world and distill it and speak it to the rest of the leadership team and try to coordinate things such that we row towards best outcomes technically, right? Uh, his job is not to um, create all our business opportunities. You know, that's Satya's job uh, and various other leaders, but to be the technical voice in the leadership team that says, this is what we should be doing and we shouldn't be doing that. Um, a technical advisor, someone like me, and I'm not the only one, but I was uh, one of the first ones, uh, just like a Supreme Court um, justice has people around them that read the case law, create the initial opinions, and then present to the justice and say, here's what we've distilled. That's what a, a technical advisor does. So I might, um, uh, well, Africa is a perfect example. I think we should go to Africa. Sounds good. Go do it, <laughs> you know. Or, or more technical is we had this area called data dignity, which is concerned with how do you collect data? What are the ethics around it? Who should own it? Who should get paid for it? Uh, what do we have to change in our engineering processes to deal with the fact that machine learning is, you know, all this and consuming all this data, but we don't currently have a process for how we should do that correctly. Um, so I might focus on an area like that and then distill something and say, well, Kevin, I think here's all the issues and here's what we need to do structurally within the company so that we handle this new area, um, handle it well, right? Uh, that's one kind of thing, or I might choose like the identity space or cloud computing or um, uh, any number of, uh, how, how should we do computing in space? <laughs> you know, wow. Okay. Uh, there's there's all these different kinds of chips. Which ones are going to be most resilient? How does that integrate with our cloud computing stuff? Uh, stuff like that. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, now, let me just make one more point there, just so that we're clear. Is uh, technical advisor is kind of like being president. The title sticks with you no matter what. So I was the first technical advisor um, as we created that office. And I no longer report to Kevin, but that title follows me throughout the company. Right? Okay. I'm always Intriguing. a technical advisor. Intriguing. Um, well, as a technical advisor, as a person who created the LEAP program, you've mentioned in earlier interviews that companies like Microsoft are actively looking for people to pay to train. I, I want to make yeah. sure I understand that. They're looking to pay people to train them, to work for them. That's the LEAP program. And the way it works is imagine, um, let's take your son. You know, he's, he's got a degree. Maybe he's Take my physics. son, please. Take him. <laughs> physics, chemistry, please take him, please. Yeah. Physics, chemistry. Uh, maybe he was a barista, but he's gone through a step where he's, he said, okay, I want to get in tech. Now, the first step is their own. They have to show a desire and they usually show that desire by going to a coding academy learning 
maybe it's JavaScript, HTML, they, they learn something, right? And they actually practice it. Uh, the best candidate for LEAP is someone who's uh, coming from wherever they're coming from, whatever background, they've gone through something such that they have some coding skills that are demonstrable, right? Then there's this process where you go to a website, you apply, you get accepted. Now you're into the LEAP program and it's 16 weeks. Four weeks of it, four or five weeks of it upfront is training. So you're kind of in this cohort of people who come in at the same time and you all get trained up on certain stuff because we're trying to prepare you to do software engineering at Microsoft, right? Then the next 12 weeks, you're actually working in a team doing like a college intern would do, right? Uh, probably not something that's super mission critical, but something that's substantial enough that we get to see if you can perform, right? Okay, okay. Uh, it's, it's essentially a 12-week interview, if you will, right? Just like with college students. Um, and then at the end of that, if, you know, the team's like, hey, you're pretty good, and you're like, I want to work here, then booyah, you got a job, right? <laughs> um, if not with us, I think, this is probably still true. It's like 95% of the people who go through that experience get a job in tech somewhere, if not with us, then with someone else, right? Because okay. now they have Microsoft on the resume, right? So they've got their leg up, whereas other people would be like, I'm not going to look at your resume. You're, you're a physics major from college. You know, what's that? Right? They won't even look. They'll just you know, dustbin it. But once you said, I did an internship at Microsoft, it's like, oh, okay, Microsoft. Well, <laughs> you know, now you've got something on your resume. You got that first step, right? And this goes back to the whole Techwity thing. It's like, it's all about getting that first step in some cases. So this is, this is what uh, the LEAP program does. Okay. I, I, I like the term Techwity that you coined. I want to go back to that. Yeah. But you've also said, and this kind of relates to what you just said, he could be a physics major, could be a barista. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but you're saying that college degrees are no longer necessary. And I kind of shortened your whole statement. So this is not your statement, but this is the condensed version. Uh, but they're no longer necessarily to have pathways in tech? Well, let's, let's be clear. Um, knowledge is required. Oftentimes, going through a college experience, it's more than just knowledge acquisition. It's also training for how to be a problem solver, um, how to structure time, how to um, deal with deadlines, how to be graded and judged, right? These are the things that college, beyond just acquiring knowledge, these are other things that college gives you. And I would say that's stuff you got to learn somewhere, right? A barista has been dealing with customers face-to-face. -face. They've been collaborating. They have customer empathy. If you're a darn good barista, you're probably a darn good customer person, no matter what field you're talking about, right? Uh, if you're a VP of a bank, you're probably a pretty good collaborator in general. You're probably a good team leader. And these are attributes that are needed for any kind of job, particularly in tech, right? Um, the The... The thing you don't necessarily need is the knowledge acquisition part is not only acquired through a four-year college degree, right? Nowadays, and I say this often, where when I was hiring people 24 years ago, one of the key aspects I wanted them to have was your ability to debug the Windows kernel. 
right? This is some low-level hardcore stuff, right? Now, that's low, not common. Low-level <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> yeah, low-level hardcore is like, just think about it. You use Windows or Mac or whatever. You have never debugged that thing, right? You, you, couldn't, you wouldn't even know how to start. So that's pretty low-level stuff. How does the machine actually operate? We don't need that anymore. I mean, 10 people need to know how to do that. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe 100. What you do need to know is there's all these frameworks out here, and there's a new one every day, and, and all, a lot of stuff is web, uh, web development. So you need React frameworks and WebGL and, you know, uh, and there's an, uh, you need to learn how to integrate with frameworks more so than building the frameworks. Now, some people need to build the frameworks. And those people probably have college degrees and probably are deep in the CS, right? But a lot of people don't need that. They need more like statisticians, um, data scientists, uh, UI developers, um, artists for doing game development. Uh, and you don't need to. You don't need a college degree necessarily to be many of those things. They're specializations. And you have to get those, you need to gain the knowledge of the specialization somehow. But it's not always strictly a four-year college degree that gets you that, right? And in particular, a four-year college degree in CS, right? It's like, I, I know this, one of the smartest programmers I've run across over the past few years was a woman who had a PhD in uh, physics and math. She picked up programming in C Sharp, which is one of our programming languages, in a weekend, right? A weekend. That's all she needed. It's like this woman is a genius. You think she can't okay. learn to program? <laughs> Come on. You know, and within a month or two, she's teaching her people how to do statistical analysis on reading these data logs from our servers because she's smart. <laughs> You know, the programming isn't the end-all be-all of all this stuff. It's like your intelligence and your problem-solving and your collaboration and all these other things, uh, these more human traits, are equally important, if not more important, particularly as programming gets easier, as we apply more and more machine learning and AI to the pro to the programming part of it, right? Right, right, right. Like, oh, that's easy. Doing this okay. is, you know, typing on a keyboard is easy. Um how do you make sure these these machines serve us and don't kill us? That's harder, <laughs> right? Okay, okay. Um, you've used this term techwity in earlier talks. You've talked about it today, actually three or four times. Yeah. I love the concept of techwity. I, I love the concept of techwity. Let's talk about that for a minute. All right. There's a definition. Yeah. So is, is that the definition? You, I found this online. I think this was on your Twitter. Yeah. The state, Twitter. yeah the state of quality of equitable access to ownership and technology development. Yeah. I like that one the best. The other one was the state of self-determination, the Kujichagalia, and personal sovereignty achieved through ownership and technology development. That's the yes. hardcore one. Yes. I love that one. I like the first one. I love the second one. Of the yeah. when you say you coined the term, you created it. Yeah. Now you can go and browse the internet, and you'll find other you know places where that word "equity" is being used. Um, this I didn't know about those other definitions. I don't know when they came. This is my definition uh, of that word. 
And it came from a place where I was just, you know, just struggling. And I like creating words because it's fun. But it came from a place where I'm just, I'm just thinking in my mind. It's like, I know tech. Now, I'm not going to be the one. I'm not Gandhi. I'm not Martin Luther King. I, I'm not a bunch of people. But I'm me. And I know tech. And I know how to create, how tech can be used, uh, both for the creation of wealth and intergenerational wealth in particular. And I know how it can be used. And wealth is um, not a be all end all in and of itself, but in the world we live in, it's required in many cases for that sovereignty, for your own self-determination without wealth, uh, you're blown in the wind, right? You're subject to the whims of those people who do have wealth. Okay, so how do we? How do I create a single word that is easily said and remembered and enunciates exactly what we're talking about? Equity, right? I need an equity share of something. I need an equity share of society, right? Tech. How am I going to get the equity? By leveraging technology, you know, and having an equity share in technology, because as I said earlier, technology is the uh, the wealth creation or the wealth representation in the world today, right? Top billionaires, okay. all tech. That's the way tech is swallowing the wealth of the world. And it's going to continue to do that because, you know, computers will continue to evolve. AI will continue to evolve. So technology, um, and another way of thinking about it is the rising tide of tech right. raises all boats. Well, if you don't have a boat, you're going to drown. Yeah, I often say that a rising tide lifts all inequities. Yeah, exactly. So we better get busy building boats, right? Ooh. Those, bolt, those bolts are built on technology. So that's how Techwity pulls it all together. It's like, I need, these people need boats. (laughs) (laughs) We need boats and we need them quick because we're going under fast. The world's moving quick. The acceleration is accelerating. So we need boats and the fastest boats we can build are going to be built on technology. So let's get to it. Um, Another distinction I make is, and I have this this conversation um, a few times, it's like, you know, I'm not interested in, well, I'm somewhat interested. I'm not only interested in uh, getting people at the table. I'm interested in creating new tables, right? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want, because you're chasing tailpipes when you're trying to sit at someone else's table. Right. Right. It's like, I don't want your table, just like I don't want to marry your daughter. I want my own table, <laughs> right? I want to create my own table and I'm, I can do that, right? Yes. So this is important. It's like, I'm going to create this, this uh, I'm going to help empower a generation of people to get a leg up through technology so that they can have their own tables and define their own ways of, of defining wealth and not just chasing after the way that I defined wealth or what I pursued, right? It's right. like- that drone guy, maybe their wealth their wealth structure is different than what we've all seen. Maybe being a billionaire isn't what wealth means in the future, but I know it's going to be based on technology. <laughs> I know gotcha. that much. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, 
do we need to think beyond earning a good salary? In one of your writings, I saw this and it it struck me. Do we need? How, to how think did it beyond? strike you? Uh, it, it struck me that if we're talking about you know building wealth, you know generational wealth, yeah. uh, providing tech equity, equity in tech, <sighs> salary is to me kind of like the end goal. I want to make sure, like for instance, with my son. You know, uh -huh. I would love to see, you know, him go through leave and get a good salary. You know, I want to make sure that our kids are in school to get Not a enough. good salary. But I also, I, I struggle with that. that. The reason it struck me is because I'm struggling with that. I truly believe we should work towards empowerment. And empowerment yes. is bigger than a salary. But yes. I don't know if, ah, what do you mean by we need to think beyond earning a good salary? Yeah, so okay, so a salary is great and it's it's a great it's a great carrot and it's 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 a distraction. It's a bobble, it's a shiny bobble. Okay. Salary's great, but stock is better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If, All right, I don't I'm have gonna... a microphone, so I'm gonna drop my phone on that one. All right, my, yeah, phone drop. That's the new thing. We're not gonna say mic drop. We're gonna say phone drop. Yeah. Whoa, so, salary ahead, is get, good. Get salary Stock is better. Yes. Why? You know, it's like when I joined Microsoft. I think I was given uh, three hundred thousand dollars of stock that would vest over stock options that vested over like five years or something like that. And I was like, mm -hmm. and it's like, hold on. If you if I had kept all of that stock, it would be worth multiple millions of dollars today. Well, my salary is not multiple millions of dollars. My cumulative salary over that same time period might have been. Uh, stock has tremendous benefits um, because it's passive income, right? You get a few shares of stock. It's sitting there. It's appreciating like your house is appreciating as an asset. Uh, Microsoft stock and, and other big companies, they're paying dividends. Those dividends can go towards purchasing more stock. So more passive income, it's growing exponentially. You know, it's like, this is the code of the rich people, right? Compound interest. <laughs> you get some stock, the stock pays off dividends. The dividends are used to buy more stock. You're not working for that. It's just passively happening, right? Your salary you got to go to work every freaking day. And when you stop going to work, the salary stops. Mm. Well, okay. Now, so you need stock. <laughs> okay. Uh, you need other, You need to spread your, your assets, right? It's like sal dollars is one kind of asset. You know, gold is an asset. Houses is an asset. Land is an asset. Stock is an asset. Um, you need to get, for intergenerational wealth, you need to spread across those multiple different kinds of asset uh, categories, right? Uh, the problem with money, hard money, you know, just dollars, is it degrades over time, right? It depreciates by design. Uh, the $100 you had 20 years ago won't buy the same thing today. So if you got your $100 and you just held on to it and you didn't do anything else, 20 years later, you're not going to even be able to buy a hamburger with that, <laughs> right? So, but if you had invested that $100 in stocks or gold or some appreciating asset, not cars, not jewelry, you know, no bling, now you've got more because you kept, place, you kept pace with inflation at least and probably did even better than that. 
right? So salary, yeah, go for the high salary. I mean, you don't go into a job interview and say, you don't have to pay me very much because salary is not worth anything. That's what William A. Adams said. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Go get the salary. But don't okay. stop there. <laughs> right? Okay. You know, you need you need to spread those those assets across different asset classes or else you're not going to have the intergenerational wealth development, right? Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, let's go with two very quick questions. All right, all right. I'm ready. <laughs> two quick questions. These will be the quickies. Tell us about the event. Oh, that's not a quick question. Okay, um, all right. So, okay. Now, hold on, hold on. We'll make... just... <laughs> Here. Here, let me shield for myself. Tell you about what? <laughs> okay. Pop your collar. Pop your collar. Okay. okay. No, so the event is, all right. So the, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the two-second version of the event because it's something that was um, that I'm trying to start, but it's not there yet. Um, the event is a manifestation and an, uh, a mechanism to um, give voice to a lot of the things I'm talking about. Tequity is like, oh, we're going to get people all hooked up to blah, blah, blah. The event is a mechanism whereby I'm going to say, let's go into your community and let's talk to you. And let's talk about what challenges you have in your community. Maybe it's about waste management, right? It's like, man, we're a, we're a washing plastic up in here. This is true in the Caribbean. And we got all the seaweed out there rotten and sticking up the place. And, you know, our, our water's bad. So you would go into an environment like that and say, all right, let's gather together. Let's, let's work as a community. And essentially, let's have a, a hackathon. But this isn't a hackathon where people come together, they work for two or three days, a winner's declared, and then you all disband. This hackathon is to transform your local community and bring in things like investors, experts in waste management, chemistry, whatever, people you wouldn't normally have access to because you're in your community. And it's like, yeah, we want to do better, but we just don't have the, the resources. Right, 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 right. So I get to come in and say, well, I, I do. Um, I know people. I know people. I've been at one of the world's biggest companies. I know people all over the planet who are experts in all sorts of things, and they have friends. I'll bring them to the table because they want to help solve these problems. So the event is that place where you actually bring people together, they work on a problem, and then you come apart and you go, all right, we actually worked on a few things. There's two or three of these things that need to get some funding. They need a building. They need a, a market guru, whatever. We brought that all together, and now you've popped out two entities that can actually pursue the thing further, right? So that's what the event is. You can think of it as uh, TED Talks meets Y Combinator. Instead of instead of ideas Whoa. worth, you know, and ideas worth spreading, it's ideas worth implementing. That's the way I think about it, right? Okay. Okay. So I'm going to implement okay. stuff. I'm active, right? It's like I'm not just going to talk. I'm going to talk to you, but I'm not just going to talk. I'm trying to put all of this to use so that we actually go. Oh, wait, we can do this stuff if we work together. Right. right. Together, we could have resisted getting on the boat. We could have sunk the boat. They couldn't even have taken us off of the continent of Africa if we all worked together. Right. Whoa. So that's what I'm doing with the event. I'm pulling us together so that we can tackle these things rather than going, well, individually, I can't do anything. He's got his foot on my neck. I'm out. <laughs> right. It's like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> OK. 
okay, okay, okay. I got friends. Let's go help each other. So that that's the event. Okay. That was uh, not second, a short answer. It, well, it's obvious to me. Yeah, you you're, you're definitely not a one minute man. You you're the things that you're dealing with is so my monumental. Wife, my wife might say otherwise. Okay. <laughs> She's still sticking with you, though, right? Did I say that? Right? That must be a good minute. <laughs> best minute of your life. Best um, minute of your life. <laughs> um, speaking of the best minute of your life, you have kids. And I your, do. I got little ones. And so your kids attended public school versus private school because yeah. you wanted to help make the public schools better. Yeah. So I, I have a. That's deep. I have a, First of all, I got to clap for that. Oh yeah. Well, you know, well, most people with means. Yeah, most people with means would do the opposite. So I have an older daughter from the first marriage who went through private the whole way, um, and I can't say that it was tremendously beneficial, you know, to her or to society. Or you know, she's an awesome person now. She's evolved, um, but I wouldn't say it's like that's the obvious way to go. But that is the way that most people with means, like you said, that's the obvious path. It's like, oh, why, why would you go to private public school when you can do private? Um, the the reason I went with public with uh, my two youngest kids is because I think they get a better experience. First of all, you know, you have a, a better uh, understanding and empathy for the way the world really is. You're not cloistered, right? Um, and also recently, so I did something for their school. It's like, okay, when you go to private school, you spend these days like $25,000 per kid <laughs> per year, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, I could, but let's, let's do something else. Uh, so my kids this year are in school and this is the first, uh, they were out of physical school for a year because of COVID and they're back in school and, you know, talking to the principal is like, what do you guys need? Because, you know, they're giving free lunches to families that needed all that sort of stuff. I'm just like, what do you need? <laughs> it's like, oh, we need these microphones for the classroom. And what do you need? Mm. And it's like, well, we need a lot of stuff, but they don't want to ask. <laughs> right, right. So I said, look, I'm going to give you $15,000 because I know no one else is going to do that. And that's going to be matched by Microsoft. So that's going to be $30,000. And they're just flabbergasted, right? It's like they have families who come in and they're like, we don't have coats for the kids. We don't have jackets. Now, we're not in snow. It's not snowing here, but it's cold, right? We These kids don't have jackets. My kids have, you know, old clothing. They're, they don't have enough food. Mm -hmm. Now, $30,000 going to a private school uh, doesn't even cover one teacher's classroom worth of anything. <laughs> you know, it's just absorbed into the, the Borg of that school. $30,000 going to a public school enables quite a few families, enables the teachers to have some training that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Those public school teachers, and I knew this from the when my son was in kindergarten and we gave them a certain amount of money. Those public school teachers spend $500 of their own money to supply their classroom because the school doesn't give them enough money, right? So I, essentially what I did was I said, well, how many teachers do you have? <laughs> well, we've got, you know, 10 or uh, 20 teachers and 10 specialists. Like, all right, well, 15 or 30. It was 30 total. So I said, all right, 
times 30, 15,000, you know, and double that. And so you've at least covered all of their expenses. Right. And then some, because now the principal can send them a certain training and stuff like that. So it's like 30,000 towards private gives you incrementally not much benefit versus 30,000 to public and you're uplifting a whole community, right? <laughs> Which one would you choose? Would you get wow. on the boat or would you not? Which wow. one would you not? <laughs> right? Okay, okay. One path is slavery. One path is liberation. I chose liberation by giving to the public school, right? That, that's truly revolutionary. Just trying to do my bit, brother. <laughs> All right, so let, let's get to our capstone questions. I kind of mentioned that Ooh, I had capstone. a few capstone questions. All right. Um, and, oh, man, I can't wait to ask, because you've actually just talked about one of these. You've also just, you really just gave the answer to one of them. But I, I kind of want to see how, where else it goes. So how do we make intentional generational change? Yeah, I think it starts with we ourselves at whatever level we are at as adults or even children um, expressing to ourselves what our intention is. What is our intention? Um, what is our vision of the future? I think it starts there uh, because if you don't know, if you don't have a clear vision of where it is you're trying to go, what you're trying to do, eh, you know, what can you do other than, okay, I'm running. <laughs> so I think it's intention starts there. Um, and the intention practice, uh, and that someone else asked me this, it's like, how do you how do you do intention? Right? And I tell people it's, it's very simple for me. I have this practice where every morning, as I'm putting on my clothes, I put on my pants, and I'm going to put on a belt, I decide which way to thread my belt, am I going to put it in towards the left or in towards the right? such a minor thing to do, but it's my first intentional act of the day. So I start my day with intention. And what I'm telling myself is every day, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. I'm not going to just operate by default, right? I'm not just going to roll through my day asleep. I'm going to roll through my day with the intention. I'm going to try to decide things moment by moment, right? That's what intention is. Um, but yeah, I think we can, we can help um, our youth, we can help ourselves by operating with intention um, and accountability. Uh, and then we can make progress, right? Uh, if you don't have intention, you don't have a vision, you're just kind of blowing with the wind. You're just, you got to get up off survival. And I mean, you can thread your belt left or right, even if you can't pay your rent. So that's no excuse. So we have to, um, we have to operate with intention and express those intentions. And then we can leverage each other to help each other move along right 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 so that leads us to the second capstone what have you intentionally done differently than preceding generations yeah previous generations and i, I thought about this um before we started it's like it's a lot of work that the previous generations have done what have i done uh how's it different i think the difference has to do with the position uh, that I am in, uh, 
my mom was a uh, county administrator. So she worked in uh, Orange County, California, government job. My father was a typewriter repairman. And they had their struggles and they, they did what they did. And their job was to keep us alive, keep us out of gangs, keep us out of jail, keep us educated, keep us on track. Um, and that's all they could do. They were not in a position to help us form startups. You know, they didn't have million dollar endowments and uh, they weren't hedge fund people that could summon their friends to give us $50 million to start Facebook or anything like that. All they could do is help us survive. Um, I'm past survival. I'm not in the same state as my parents. I have means and friends and resources. Uh, I should be and will be and am doing that next step, which is Yes, now we can start to talk about intergenerational wealth. Yes, we can start to talk about creating our own table, our own technologies and advancing further. So I wouldn't, so in that way, I think I'm the same as every other generation. It's building, right? Keep on building, keep on leveraging what has come before. So in that way, I think I'm the same. The thing that I'm doing different is that I am now in a place where I can leverage technology, um, money, uh, various other assets, bring them to bear to help people move along. And that's something that my parents' generation couldn't do, right? Uh, and therefore, I must do, right? It's not a luxury. I cannot and I must not just stop and say, well, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. I got mine. I'm good. Peace out, <laughs> right? This is not acceptable. Uh, so I will do the next step, which is to leverage where I'm at so that my children can do their next step and leverage where they're at, right? Uh, so that's, I don't think it's different. I think it's the same, but I um, am committed to um, leveraging and building off of what they've done and not just let it rest, right? Right. And a last question, which is when I really like, what is something that needs to change in the world that you're uber passionate about? I think it's just everything that we've been talking about is just getting, um, whether you use the word equity or equality, just, just having more equality in the world where it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be your limitations are based on where you were born and what DNA you so happen to have. It's just silly. You know, I mean, when you think of us as the human race on planet Earth and the Gorgons come attacking, we're suddenly all going to become human, right? Because the Gorgons are attacking. <laughs> Everyone's going to want to support each other. Although I, I'm skeptical, skeptical about that because uh, you could think COVID was the Gorgons and we did not come together. You know, we, we split apart. So my hope is that we, as a human societies, uh, see each other more for how we are um, humans rather than the differences of minor things like DNA um, or geography. Uh, I want us, what I'm passionate about is uh, seeing the, human, the collective humanity work together uh, to advance us all rather than tearing us apart. 
right? I mean, we're just at the precipice of tearing each other apart. And it's like, yeah, why? Why does it have to be that way? So that's that's it. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, man, I've learned so much just from listening to you today and the work that you're doing and your insight and, you know, hey, there was a buyer. <laughs> yeah, there was we, a buyer. <laughs> yeah, and, and we need more boats. Yes. <laughs> we, we need more boats. Yeah, let's go uh, some boats. Yeah, instead of worrying about getting a seat at the table, instead of making your own table, we need more tables. Yes. Plural. Yep. I, I love that. I love that. Um, any lasting or any any leaving words, anything that anyone who gets a chance to be blessed with this stream, with this content, whether it's on our YouTube channel or our podcast or, you know, whatever forms you might consume our content. Any leaving and lasting final message with our get on coders, our code keepers? Yeah, I think the the message I would say is um, I, I like <laughs> I like get on code. I like the, the diversity of um, speakers you've had on because you're talking about, yeah, wealth. You're talking about wellness. You're talking about I really look like that. The Egyptian philosophy one It's like different <laughs> modes of thinking. Any I I. So I guess the message is um, keep on keeping on with get on code. <laughs> That's what my message is because I think you got a good you got a good mix of things going on. Um, of course, I have my own website. There's not much there because I'm not a I'm not a super media um, maven yet. Uh, William A Adams.com. Uh, all of my future stuff will be showing up there. Um, but yeah, that's the only message I have is let's keep listening to each other. Let's keep learning and thriving um, for a better world, right? That's my message. Wow. William.A.Adams. William Dash. Yeah. Oh, William okay. A-Adams.com. Okay. So coming that soon. One. Yeah. Coming soon. Okay. Yeah, it just has Coming my soon. Twitter and my LinkedIn links there. But yeah, there'll be there'll be stuff there. There'll be stuff there. Okay. Uh William, hey man, blessings to you and your family. Uh blessings to you and Leap. Blessings to you and Microsoft. Uh I just started using Teams recently. I'm trying to change the mentality because <laughs> Okay, you don't <laughs> use what works, man. That's what we do. We all do. It's like Teams, Zoom, whatever. Use what works. <laughs> I say, I say. Hey, William, thank you for being on Get On Code. Code Keepers, this was a blessing. Hopefully you were blessed. Share the blessing with others and we'll see you later. Peace. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, man, that was a great